0: Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 124 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. We've had a couple of exciting deliveries this week, and stay tuned to hear all about Gary's Hive Makeover. Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Beekeeping podcast for the Inquisitive Beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm grateful to Honeypour Hives for sponsoring in part our podcast for this season. Honeypoor hives, as I'm sure you're aware, are Poly Langstroth hives, and we're setting up an apiary full of their hives this season, courtesy of Honeypour. Check out their range of hives and other equipment on their website, and I'll leave links to all of the websites in the show notes as usual poor Hives. Designed by beekeepers for beekeepers. Hello again and welcome back to the podcast. First up this week is the weather review. It's been a windy old week. Wet and windy to be honest. Quite a change from the scorching sun-drenched days of just a week or so ago. I think unseasonably windy is the way it's been described on TV and with trees still in full leaf. The apiaries needed a quick check to make sure that no large branches had come down and destroyed any of the hives. I'm glad to report all is well in the apiaries, at least as far as fallen trees is concerned. Colonies continue to settle down for the autumn, and some are still very large colonies with plenty of bees and large numbers of frames of brood. It's an opportunity to get some new foundation drawn while the weather stays warm over the next few weeks prior to the changes into autumnal weather patterns and a reduction in general activity within the hives. I'm not advising shook swarms here or anything as radical as that. The use of a shook swarm at this time of the year will potentially deprive colonies of valuable pollen resources that they've collected through the late summer and into this early autumn period and could leave them short of protein through the winter. The ivy will be in full flower soon and that will give a massive boost to the pollen stores but I like my bees to have a good mix of stores for the winter months ahead so I won't be doing any shook swarms. It is however possible to get Good strong colonies to draw out a brood box of comb right now and have additional food storage and extra space, particularly in hive types that don't have larger brood areas, such as the National or Smith hives. Getting these hives on double brood for the winter is actually quite a good idea, or even adding a super for them to fill with stores and overwinter with a brood and a half. This kind of practice will no doubt give the bees extra resources and the beekeeper, of course, peace of mind going into the darker days of winter. It's really important to remember that this can only happen as long as the bees have the two main resources they need. And I know I mention this over and over again, but it's a really important point for beginner beekeepers to remember. The colony will only be able to draw out more foundation if they have lots of bees and lots of food. And at this time of the year, for me here in Norfolk, that means sugar syrup. Trying to add an additional brood box of frames filled only with foundation to a colony, barely on four frames of bees, and not adding a feeder, will undoubtedly result in them doing absolutely nothing with the additional box. With everything in place, I'm looking to use a kind of hybrid Bailey comb change where I shift the queen into the top box on one frame of emerging brood and place a queen excluder between the two brood boxes to keep the queen in the top box. The reason for this is I don't have lots of spare Bailey boards. That's to say, a floor with a queen excluder fitted so the entrance gets moved from the bottom box to a midway point between both brood boxes. Actually this might be a useful way of overwintering your bees if you get lots of snow that could otherwise block the traditionally located bottom entrance. I'm sure some beekeepers already do this, there's not a great deal in beekeeping that's totally new and there are some very clever beekeeping folk out there. Anyway, the purpose of the bailey board is to place an entrance above the old brood frames so bees are not constantly walking across the old frames to get to the new ones. This is particularly useful if you're making the change due to old, potentially diseased combs where something such as Nosema might have been a problem. The Queen, being confined in the top box, will draw workers up to her and they will draw new comb on the foundation for her to lay eggs in and continue to draw out the comb to place stores around the new brood nest area. If you keep feeding, they should draw these frames out nicely in a couple of weeks or so. Don't forget that the queen excluder, or bailey board, will need to be removed prior to settling them down for the winter, and wherever you decide you want your entrance, make sure it's clear of debris. Once settled... You can admire your double brood box setup, knowing they have plenty of food and some lovely fresh comb for the queen and her colony for the winter. One point to think about is that if the brood nest shifts, you may also need to move any treatments you have in the colony. For instance, I'm using Apitraz, very similar to Apivar in that it has hanging strips, the same style as Apistan, for instance, and others. These need to be positioned in the brood nest area, so you may want to reposition these until the treatment period is up. Because I don't have lots of bailey boards, I simply use a queen excluder as I mentioned. Here, I'm not so fussed about the bees moving across the old combs, as the aim is simply to increase to a double brood setup and not remove old diseased comb until the spring. If I were looking to perform the bailey comb change for disease reasons, I'd definitely use a bailey board. Maybe we'll make up some more bailey boards this winter and shoot a video to show you how easy it is to make. Everyone should have one, so perhaps we will set up a video at the new unit to show you how. Talking about the new unit, I've had a couple of exciting deliveries this week. Now, before I go on to reveal what was delivered... I know I should get out more and I know it's a little sad getting excited about these things but well I'm a beekeeper. We get excited about anything to do with beekeeping and one of the items that arrived is also going to help massively with my bad back troubles. Firstly and here if I had some sound effects I'd insert a drum roll. Firstly I received a pallet of honey jars Oh, don't be so disappointed. Honestly, it's really very exciting. When I say a pallet of jars, I do mean a full pallet of jars. Straight out of the production factory, nice and shiny, tightly wrapped and sparkly new. 2,800 of them, complete with posh black lids. The reason for the excitement is I've just run out of our normal jars. And when I spoke to our supplier, it turns out the company that makes our standard jars isn't able to make any more until late October at the earliest, and was putting the issue down to the coronavirus challenges that we're all facing. I hadn't thought about how far-reaching the coronavirus could or would be, but of course, when you pause to think about it, it's affecting everyone and everywhere. I just have to continue to thank my lucky stars that I'm a beekeeper and able to go about my business pretty much unhindered. Anyway, my normal jars, unavailable, I had a frantic scramble around to find something similar. I use jars that take 350 grams of honey, and our labels say just that, and I like to use jars that are a little different to the more standard one pound honey jar with a gold lid. They just look a little dated to me. Now that's not to say they don't suit other beekeepers, and I know they sell by the lorry load. Thank goodness we all have different tastes, otherwise things might get a little boring. Anyway, the palette of jars is a thing of beauty. Layer upon layer of jars, set up like the fairground game I used to play when I was a kid. The one where you throw a ping pong ball at them, trying to get it into the jar and win a prize. Usually a goldfish. I always wondered what would happen if I ever did win a goldfish. Where on earth would I put it? I didn't have a goldfish tank, so I guess I hadn't really thought it through. Not that I was ever going to win. I have a sneaking suspicion that the game was rigged. Anyway, as I said, the pallet now in my possession has layer upon layer of jars and sits tightly against the wall, waiting patiently for me to get to work. Interestingly, I recently asked the question of some fellow beekeepers how they wash their jars, and the general conclusion was that they don't. It seems even environmental health departments are happy with this situation, with one significant caveat – the jars have to come from the manufacturer sealed in such a way that dust and debris can't get into the jars. The pallet has a thick plastic wrap around it and heavy duty card between each layer so it seems fair enough that they would be spotlessly clean. I'm not so sure about jars arriving in cardboard boxes though and up to now I've always washed each and every jar. It is a major pain in the backside, I have to say, but it's something I've always just done. As production increases, the hand washing becomes almost impossible, and so I was thinking of getting a glass washing machine such as they have in pubs and clubs, but this now seems to be redundant. I might have a word with my own local environmental health team and see what they say. I really don't want to fall foul of any local regulations. One major improvement is that with so many jars being delivered in such a neatly packaged way, there are zero breakages. With the boxes of jars, there was always a worrying clatter and rattle, glass against glass, and inevitably sometimes there would be broken jars. That's why I always wash them from the boxes, fear of slivers of glass ending up in my honey. It seems I can relax a little now, and bulk buying brings a reduction of overall costs too, so that's great news. One slight twist to the tail of the pallet of jars, if you'll excuse the pun, was that the supplier inadvertently sent gold twist lids instead of black. Now you know how sometimes trying to get these problems resolved can feel a little like having your teeth pulled. Well, credit where credit is due, I contacted them and explained the error, and within 24 hours they had collected the incorrect lids and replaced them with the right ones. Oh, and the company in question is called Compaq. I'll leave a link to their website in the podcast notes. The second delivery to arrive this week was something I hope will really take the strain out of moving honey from bucket to tank, or rather moving honey from bucket on the floor to tank at shoulder height. Nope, it's not a pump, not yet. I bought a scissor lift. I knew that would get you all excited. So this piece of kit is a hydraulic lift that has a table that will take my 100 kilogram creamer unit and lift it from ankle height to the perfect position for attaching to the bottling machine. And that's around 1.5 meters off the ground. The trouble for me has been in order to get the tank at the right height, I had to position it at the right height before filling it. And that means lifting 30-pound buckets of honey to shoulder height and pouring into the tank? Sometimes not. As you all know, warm honey flows a long way and sticks to everything, so any chance I can have of avoiding spillages is a real benefit. All I have to do is wheel the scissor lift beside the appy melter, where the warmed buckets of honey are, pour the honey into the tank, obviously allowing the buckets to run clean for a few minutes using bucket stands, But then I can wheel the lift into position and simply pump the foot pedal to push the hydraulic lift up to the appropriate height. It works perfectly. I shot a video showing just how good it is. Again, it's something I'm really excited about because it takes another potential hazard out of the equation. I'll also post some pictures to Patreon and do look out for the video, but I'll shoot another one as soon as we get it set up and used for real. For me, it's another step in the right direction of becoming more efficient and having less opportunities to mess up my back. Finally, I wanted to update you all on Gary's hive. You'll hopefully have followed the story so far, so I won't go into the backstory of where we're at. But last week, it was time to give the bees the home they deserved and move them across into one of my own clean, properly built hives. I have to admit, I wasn't looking forward to it, It was going to be a lot of disruption, and the bees had already proven themselves to be a little on the grumpy side. I was thinking I might double glove, but in the end decided I needed to be able to feel my way around. The plan was not only transfer the frames across into the clean hive, but also to clean up the frames a little. They had so much wax and propolis on them, it made it very difficult to handle them without upsetting the bees. Cleaning them would, I'm sure, make for an easier life going forward. The process is one I've completed hundreds of times before. It's just a spring clean. New floor, brood box, crown board and roof. The step was to move the old hive out of the way, but close enough to be able to reach across and pick out the frames from the old brood box. The bees, whilst a little grumpy, were actually easier to control than previously, Here is where intelligent use of the smoker comes to the fore. What I needed to do was to smoke the bees heavily enough to drive them off the top bars so I could use my sharp hive tool to scrape away the wax and propolis without chopping off heads and legs. The bees actually cooperated really well. They must have known what was going on. It was quite a time-consuming task as each frame also had a build-up of wax and propolis on the underside of the frame lugs so these needed to be scraped clean to make sure they sat evenly on the new brood frame runners. I had previously marked the queen, which made it simple to spot her on a frame and move her across into the new brood box. Once she was in there, I could relax and go to town on cleaning the frames. The easiest way to do this is to shake off all the bees from the frame into the new brood box and then clean up the frame. There's no point in trying to do it with the frame covered in bees. One by one, the grotty frames were cleaned and settled into the new box. Something that was immediately obvious was that they were running out of food. So once they were cleaned and all the frames were put back into the new box, I added a queen excluder and a super. On top of this, I added a feeder and gave them a full jerry can of heavy sugar syrup. That's 14 kilos. I used the Apical that I'd recently brought in and the bees were straight on it. The reason for adding the queen excluder was to prevent the queen from going up into the super and laying eggs in there. Once the bees have filled it with syrup and capped it over, I'll reposition it beneath the brood box so it becomes an under-supered brood and a half for winter, and not forgetting to remove the queen excluder at that point. If you're wondering, I got stung just once, on my elbow of all places. The bees were not totally calm, but I was able to control them with the use of the smoker, and they were a lot better for being swapped out into the new hive. I hope they'll now settle down a little and be easier to handle, being in a new hive and nicely clean and easy to manoeuvre. I did comment at the time on the video that the frames were so easy to move now that they were clean and in the new box. Watch out for that video and further updates as we look to try a slightly different method of Varroa control with this colony. But that's for another podcast. Well, that's it for this week. If you haven't yet checked out all of this season's videos so far, do pop over to my Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet.